Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for our series, Margins. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil helps us understand what financial margins can mean in our lives. Join us as we discover how those margins can affect our generosity and the impact that can have on our lives and the lives of others. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, page 754. We are going to be looking at the story of the feeding of the 5,000 this morning as we continue our series on margin. Last week we talked about scheduling margin and creating more time for ourselves and our schedules. Today we're going to talk about financial margin. Now just so we're clear, we're going to just jump right into the definition of what we are saying financial margin is. Let's go ahead and put it on the screen. Financial margin refers to the extra. It refers to the leftovers. It refers to the reserves that we have of money, of cash, at the end of the month after we've paid all the bills, all the taxes, the payments, and all the financial obligations. Whatever we have left over at the end of the month, financially, that is our margin. That is our financial margin. Now, why we've included it in this series is because I think it's fairly easy for most of us to admit that that's not something many of us have a lot of. Many of us get to the end of the month and after we've paid all the bills and the payments and everything, we don't have much margin, if any at all. We're kind of on a month-to-month kind of a basis. So we're going to talk about this morning and we're going to use John chapter 6 as our kind of our trampoline. We're going to, we saw the scene, but I want to read the story with you in John chapter 6. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about three principles and three questions we should consider. Verse 1 says, sometime after this, it's referring to the death of John the Baptist, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will, will it go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. The men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them, who, those who were seated, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted, he said. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had already eaten. Now, if you're taking notes, first thing I want to encourage you to do by way of principles, if you want to create more financial margin in your life, first thing is you need to be realistic, just like Philip in this story. You need to be realistic. Jesus is doing his thing. He's doing his miracles. He's leading the Bible studies. He's preaching to the crowd, right? And it comes to about that time in the day where people are starting to get hungry. So he goes to the disciples and to Philip and he says, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed them? Why does he go to Philip? 
Well, he goes to Philip because Philip's from this area. He grow, he's grown up just a couple miles away in a town called Bethsaida. If there's anyone who knows whether it's a Subway or a taco truck or a Albertson, it's Philip. So he goes to Philip. Where are we going to get some food? Um, now, the, the writer, the gospel writer, gives us an inside idea of what's going on here. Jesus is asking this question already knowing what he's going to do. He's doing it to set Philip up. He's doing it to, to you have a teachable moment with him. But Philip doesn't realize this. We know he doesn't realize this because in, very, very quickly, he gets frustrated, exasperated, and stressed. I mean, that's the whole point of the exclamation point at the end of verse 7. He, he, he very quickly identifies and says to Jesus, this is in normal English, um, Jesus, we got a problem. We have all these people. We don't have pretty much any food. We have a problem. We have a massive problem. The very first thing I need us to do this morning as we talk about creating financial uh, margin is to admit and be realistic and say, we've got a problem. We've got a massive problem. Because the truth of it is that at the end of the month, many of us, maybe even most of us, have very little or no financial margin whatsoever. One of the things that we have to realize is that when we have issues, problems in our life, Jesus doesn't ask us to bury our head in the sand and pretend like we don't have problems. It's much better to just do what Philip did and to kind of just speak the truth and to realistically say, when it comes to finances, when it comes to extra at the end of the month, we don't have much. We've got a problem. What happens in your life when you don't have extra finances at the end of the month? Think about it. How does that make you feel on the inside? It causes stress. It causes in you exactly what it caused in Philip. How does it, how does it work amongst your family with your spouse when, when you're having that financial stress and tension? It's not good, is it? Timothy actually has something to say about any one of us who doesn't have financial margin in our life. Let me show you what, what he says, and in, in, let's put it on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The love of money. Now, what he's saying here is the, the love of stuff, the, the love of fast cars, the love of big houses, the love of fancy TVs, the love of shoes, the love of clothes, the love of golf clubs, a- anything you want to say in there. Any one of us who lives our lives loving stuff, if that's how we live our lives, here's what he says, the love of all that stuff causes all kinds of trouble. Now, initially it doesn't, because it's really fun when we get the new flat screen. But when the payment comes month after month after month after month, and then we come a year down the road and we still have that payment, and now we can't quite afford it like we once used to, it creates a tremendous amount of tension. Some people want all this stuff so much, they have given up their faith and have caused themselves a whole lot of pain. The NIV says a whole lot of grief or a whole lot of stress. We are no different than Philip. A lack of financial margin in our life produces a tremendous amount of stress, tremendous amount of tension. It is not easy. And we need to be realistic about it. Now, very quickly, Solomon comes up with a solution. Notice the solution, verse 7. Philip answered Jesus, eight months' wages. That's what it's going to take, Jesus. Eight months' wages so that everybody basically gets a sandwich. And my question is, how does he know this? How does he know that? In fact, if you'll notice right next to the word wage or wages in verse 7, there's a little letter in my Bible. It'll point you down to the bottom, and it literally was 200 denarii. That's what it's going to cost. How does he know this? 
Well, Philip, when you study the disciples, he was one of those pragmatists. He was one of those numbers guy, very practical. So when Jesus asks the question, where are we going to get some food? How are we going to take care of it? There's all, you can almost see Philip. Well, it's going to, you know, it costs about $5 to get a Subway sandwich for each one. So $5, how many people do we have? Well, we have X amount of rows. How many people in each row? Uh, that's uh, this time, carry the seven, uh, divide that. Okay, that's going to cost 200 denarii, eight months wages. He figures that out real quickly. That's the solution, right? Now, what I want to encourage you to do today is one of the most godly things you could do this afternoon and this week. Don't grab your Bible. Grab a calculator and figure out where your money is going. Figure out where your money is going and the percentage that you're spending. I make this much money Figure out what percentage of it you spend in one month. Figure that out. Some of us don't have a clue. It's very difficult to fix a financial problem unless you know specifics. You need to figure out the specifics. And some of you will discover, well, um, you know, I make X amount of dollars and um, basically I spend about 95% of what I make. Let's just use that as an example. Just real quickly, most financial advisors will tell you if you're spending anything more than 80 to 85% of what you make, you are going to have, at some point in time, significant financial margin issues. You should only be spending about 80% on all your bills and education and all, about 80%. Some of you may discover that you're spending 103 to 105% of what you make. How do I do that? Credit cards. You just postpone the payment and you just take care of the minimum every month. You're literally spending more than you make. And now that's a whole other issue, a whole other problem. Once you've identified the percentage, now break it out and figure out what, what is going where. How much do I spend on my rent or my mortgage? How much do I spend on transportation? How much do I spend on food? How much do I spend on entertainment? How much do I spend on eating out? And oh, by the way, you do realize eating out is completely different than food. It's completely different. I, I'm the first one. I love eating out. But it costs minimum three to four times more to eat out than to eat at home. But it doesn't taste as good and it's not as convenient. Okay, that's fine. I completely agree with you. But if we're talking about financial margin and you don't have it, that is a number you should figure out, don't you think? Because you could solve a big problem very, very quickly just by doing that kind of thing. You want to deal and tackle with this issue. The first thing we got to do is just be like Philip. Be realistic. Get a calculator, figure out the percentage that you're spending, and figure out where it's going. I'm telling you, the minute you do that, some number, one or two numbers will pop up, and you're going to say to yourself, I didn't realize I was spending that much on, and it's whatever's going to come up. You've got to figure that out. The second thing we need to do is we need to be proactive, just like Andrew. Be proactive, just like Andrew. Now, if Philip is kind of realistic and negative, Andrew's much more positive almost. He, he, instead of trying to figure out and calculate how much everything's going to cost, you know what he does? He starts walking the crowd and why, trying to figure out, does anybody have anything, right? Now, if, if Philip says to Jesus, we've got a problem, Andrew says something quite different. He brings a little boy that has a, you know, a sack lunch, and, and he says to him, well, I've got, I've got these loaves and I've got these fish, but reading between the lines, here's what Andrew says to Jesus. I've got a little bit of food, but if we want to solve the problem, we're going to need more. That's what he says. We need more. Now, I don't know if it's just me, 
but it seems to me that many of us live our lives that way. We live our lives that way. We say the exact same thing. You know, all I need is a little bit more and then I'll be happy. All I need is a little bit more and then I'll feel important. All I need is a little bit more and then I'll be secure. I don't know how long it's going to take us to figure out if money equaled happiness, we Americans would be the happiest people on earth and we are not. We are not. It would be interesting if you talk to other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and and we were to be honest with them and tell them how much money we really make. Most of them would say, "And, and now what's your problem now? I can't figure it out. You're stressed about what? And you make that much? But we have this mentality that we need, we want more. That's how we live. It happens just this past week. On Appian Way, there's three lanes. One goes in each direction, and then the middle lane, you know, is a turn lane, right? Have you ever been driving on Appian Way and have some punk want to use the middle lane as a, as a passing lane? Has that ever happened to you? They get impatient, so they get in the middle lane and they pass you up. It's incredibly dangerous. This past week, it happened to me. Guy kind of in a sports car, you know, and he sped by me, and it, I did not like that. It was not very fun, okay? But God was good to me. Because as soon as we got to I-80, I saw that a police car had pulled him over. And it just, it blessed my heart, you know. I drove by, you know, waved at him, you know. God's got a wonderful plan for your life is what I said, something like that, you know. One of the things I've realized in life is that people will whiz pie me with nicer, faster things in life. They will. But I've come to learn that just because they have nicer toys and bigger toys and shinier toys one of the things that I've realized is that down the road, most of those very same people get pulled over by the debt police. They have more toys, but they also have more payments. They have more payments. And it's very interesting. When I've talked to people about the last four to five to six years and the terrible economy that we're going through, you know the people who are most stressed about the economy? It's very interesting. The people who make the most money. The people who are most concerned about the stock market are all of us who have money in the stock market. Have you ever seen poor people be concerned about the stock market? They're not bothered about it one bit. Those of us who have more money, we're more concerned. We're consumed, in fact, by what's happening to the economy and what's happening to the stock market. It controls us sometimes in terms of how we feel certain days. Over the years, Sandy and I have had conversations amongst ourselves, and we have talked to other families, other couples. And they, have you ever had a conversation with someone, and you know they make more money than, than you do? It's, just, it's obvious. You know because of where they work or, or all the, you know, they make more money than we do. You know? And you have conversations with them. But then a couple times, we've had this conversation with people, and, and very quickly, they have nicer things, bigger toys, But very quickly, we discover they have more stuff, but they have less financial margin than we do. Have you ever discovered that? They make more than we do, but because they spend a whole lot more than, than we do, at the end of the month, they have very little financial margin. So if anything goes wrong, they're incredibly stressed over it. We may not make as much, but we don't spend near as much, and we have more margin than they do at the end of the month. 
more financial margin. And so it's very interesting, Sandy and I, over the years, we've learned we aren't jealous necessarily of people who make more and have more because we have more margin. You know, we're like, we got margin. Yes, we do. We got margin. How about you? You know, (laughs) which really freaks them out because we have like a little routine and I throw her up and Living with financial margin brings peace to your life because when bad things happen, and they do, I was in my backyard just yesterday and I'm looking around, I'm going, oh no, both fences need to be fixed. That's going to be some cash. I can feel it. That's going to be some cash. But you know what? We'll be able to handle it because we have margin. We have margin. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 20 says this. Let's put it up on the screen. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. You know what that means? He has margin. They have extra stuff at the end of the month. They have all kinds of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours or spends all he has. Now I want you to notice something here very important. It does not say the house of the wealthy. It doesn't say that. It says the house of the wise. The house of the wise has financial margin. I'm going to say something right now, and some of you are not going to like it, but I care for you. I want the very best for you. And I think down deep, we all know that we need financial margin. Listen very, very carefully. Lack of financial margin is not an income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. If you don't have margin in the area of your finances, there's only two ways to fix that. You can either make more or you can spend less. I want you to take a wild guess which one you think God wants you to do. You see, we can't control the income part many times because we're, you know, our, the boss or the company, or especially in this economy, we can't control necessarily how much we make. We can control how much we spend. We can control that. We, it's choices that we make. So what do we do? Be like Philip and be realistic about what we're dealing with. Be like Andrew. Be proactive and let's make some choices. Third thing I want to encourage you to do is be generous just like the little boy. You know, we talk about Jesus. We talk about the disciples. We don't talk about the little boy that often. Is it just me or does he seem to be the only responsible one of the bunch? Okay, it's about 10 o'clock. We're going to go hear Jesus speak. Um, You know, I'm going to be hungry in a couple hours. I think I'm going to pack a lunch. It seems to be like he's the only, only guy that comes up with that. Why doesn't everyone else come up with that? He's the only one. So can't you see how this goes? The other thing is when the disciples found him, they didn't steal his sack lunch. They asked him, how how did that conversation go? They go up to him, you know, oh, oh, you got quite a bit of stuff. Can can I have just a word with you real quick? You know, we got an issue. We got this problem. We got a lot of people here that are hungry. We're hungry. Jesus has been talking for a couple hours. He's hungry. No one has any, it seems like you're the only one that has kind of any food at all. So I've got to have a question for you this morning and, and, and just before lunch. I know, I know you want to eat, but would you be willing to take what you have and give it to Jesus? And I want to ask you the very same question this morning. I realize that you have needs. I realize that you are hungry but uh, would you be willing to take what you have and put it in Jesus' hands? 
you say, well, now you're kind of throwing me off because I've, I've been willing, I grant you, I don't have a lot of margin. I don't have any margin. So I, I'm just like paycheck to paycheck. Now you're telling me, Dave, that, that even though I don't have a lot of margin, what little I have left, you want me now to give to God? It, it seems like I should get my financial house in order first and then I can, no, you need to do it right away. Why right away? Every once in a while I'll have someone say, I can't afford to give. And I've said this a thousand times if I've said it once. You can't afford not to give. Because based upon what God says in his word about me being generous, you get blessed when you do this. My giving has major impact on my life. Let me give you just five areas. Let's put it on the screen. Five things that my generosity impacts. It impacts my heart. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking. He says this, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, on earth, but do it in heaven. Don't invest on earth, invest in heaven. And then he adds this, because... Where your money is, there your heart will be also. Here's how this works. I'm not really a gambler at all. Every once in a while, I'll have a buddy of mine, and they'll bet on a, on a football game. And, and I'll bump into them, and they'll go, how, how's, the, you know, how's the Seattle-Cleveland game going? I'm like, well, like, are you a Browns fan or something? No, not at all, but I got 20 bucks on the game. Now, follow how this goes. They don't like the Seahawks or the Browns, but they're incredibly interested in the game because they have money running on it. Very simple principle. Wherever you put your money, your heart follows. Anywhere you put your money, your heart follows. You see, the issue is not necessarily that Jesus wants your money. The issue is that he wants your heart. He wants all of you, and he knows he doesn't get it until he gets your day timer or your pocketbook or your checkbook. He doesn't have you. He wants you. It controls your heart. It controls your commitment. Here's the next one, and now it starts to get even more serious. Not only does it impact my heart, it impacts God's heart. Malachi chapter 3, the last book in the Old Testament, God speaking to his people, he says this. You know, I'm a little ticked off at you um, because you're robbing me. You're stealing from me. And God's people are like, how are we doing that? What, your refusal to give offering and tithe is the equivalent of you stealing from me. I want you to imagine that as you're leaving here, um, you're, going to your, you're, driving, you're going to your car, walking to your car, and you see someone that was hanging over, left over from, from second service. And they've, you know, used one of those little Slim Jims or whatever. They've opened up your car door. They've opened it. They're in your car. They're going through your stuff, grabbing stuff out of your glove compartment. How would that make you feel? I, I realize we can't expect much from second service people, but I'm just saying, how would that make you feel? Would you be upset? I think you'd be upset. You'd probably come find me. You'd come find Brigitte. You might even call the cops. You might even say, you know what? We might have to find a new church if that's what they're all about. You might Facebook it. It would bother you. And it should. Any one of us that has lived in a house that has been vandalized, you know how that feels. First you're upset and then you're scared and then you're angry. God goes through those same emotions in this area. He says, you are robbing from me. You are stealing from me. It not only affects my heart, it affects his heart. And this is the key. Not a, it affects my finances. Ma- Malachi chapter 3. The, the next verse, verse 10, he says this. If you trust me in this area, I'm going to bless you. You know why? Because I control the sun, and I control the rain, and I control people's careers, and I control your job, and I control what happens to all your bills. Trust me, he says. It affects your finances, the issue is not what you have. The issue is whose hands you put it in. If you put some pots and pans in my hand, I'm not going to make you much. 
If you put it in some celebrity chef's hand, you know, Gordon Ramsay, he's going to make you a great meal. If you give me a basketball, I'm not that great at basketball. You put it in Kobe Bryant's hand, he's going to put up 60 points. I, you know, if you give me a calculator, I might be able to, you know, you know, make our checkbook balance. If you give it to Warren Buffett, he's going to make a, a million bucks. The issue is not what you have. The issue is whose hands do you put it in. When it comes to your finances, do you have the faith to say, I'm going to trust you with it, God. I'm going to trust you that, that you know more than I know. In every area of your life, in my life, including this one. It affects God's kingdom, 2 Corinthians said. It affects others' eternity. I love Luke 16.9. It's the verse that talks about someday you're going to get to heaven. Someone's going to come up to you and go, hey, how you doing? Now, maybe they're surprised you made it. I don't know, okay? But they're going to come up, hey, how you doing? And you're going to kind of go, hey, what's up, homie? Because you're not going to recognize them. You're not going to have a clue who they are. And then they're going to say something like this to you. You don't know me. But the reason I'm here is because you gave to this one ministry and this one ministry served me and taught me about Jesus and I embraced him as my savior. Because you gave, they taught me and because they taught me, I'm here. My giving impacts other people's eternity. Now I know what some of you are thinking. See Dave, I know you're the preacher, you're supposed to say this. It's kind of like the wolf giving advice to the chickens. It's kind of hard to believe you. Because you're supposed to say this. Okay, let's take me, let's take Bay Hills out of the equation completely. I dare you to try this for eight weeks. Now, I use those words very specifically because that's exactly what God says in Malachi. He says, he only says it once. Test me in this one area. Test me. I dare you. So I'm going to dare you. Try it for eight weeks but don't give to Bay Hills at all. Give to another ministry. Give to another church. That would be pretty interesting. Just write a check and go to another church and hand it to the pastor. You'll freak him out, I'm telling you. That'd be pretty interesting. Try it. I mean, really, what do you have to lose? It's not been working out so far. Try it. See what happens to you not only financially, see what happens to you spiritually when you apply this principle. Be realistic. Be proactive. Be generous. Let me give you last three questions to chew on and then I'm going to let you go. First question I want you to think about is this. How much do you really need? How much do we really need to be thankful and content? Did you notice what Jesus transformed and fed 5,000 people with? It says barley loaves and fish. Let's talk about barley loaves and fish. Barley loaves, that's not like a nice, uh, you know, loaf of sourdough bread. A barley loaf was the lowest kind of bread you could buy. It wasn't very tasty. It's pretty much what the poorer people ate. The fish, this is not like some sashimi. This is not some smoked salmon. This is not tuna. You know what it is? It's pickled sardines. Sounds tasty, doesn't it? Likewise, those sardines were the lowest form of fish you could buy. Here's my question. If God had the power, if Jesus had the power to take a sack lunch, transform it, and feed 5,000 people, why can't he change the menu? Why can't he get me some peppercorn, uh, you know, um, you know uh, turkey and a nice loaf of bread and some provolone cheese on it? How about some tiramisu dessert at the end and a cappuccino? Why can't he do that? Why does it have to be barley loaves and sardines? 
But he takes these barley loaves, he takes what he has, and we read in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. So many of us, instead of appreciating what we have, we're always wishing we had, I wish I had this. Now, it's not that it's wrong to wish you had something else, but are you thankful for what God has given you? I want you to process. Am I really thankful for what God has given me? Not what he hasn't, what he has given me. And then the very obvious and next verse says that he gave them so much they were full. They had to pick up the leftovers. They were so full. In that culture, in that day, the way that you communicated to your host that you were full, that you didn't want another serving, is that you would burp. Now, teenagers, please don't take and just apply this one thing at home and start burping at home, okay? But I'm imagining a whole field filled with happy, belching people. So I'm just going to ask you, and just be honest with yourself, what does it really take for you to be thankful and content? I don't want you to answer this out loud. I want you to try and think about it very quickly in your mind. What did you get for Christmas this last year? What were those three or four items that you desperately wanted and, and you got this past Christmas? Can you get them? Can you think about them real quick? You see, part of the problem is that last November we were begging our family for three or four items, but right now we can't remember two of them. It's not just the kids that have to learn contentment. We need to learn contentment. We've been blessed greatly by God. We have. The question you and I have to wrestle with is how much do we need before we're thankful and content? Second question I want to ask you is could we be more shrewd with our financial choices and decisions? That comes from, from, from a story in Luke where Jesus says you should be more shrewd with your money. Shrewd doesn't just mean smart. It means strategic. It's the ability to stretch the dollar. The, yes, it's being frugal, but it's a whole lot more than that. And he says, the worldly people, they're more shrewd than we are. Stop praying about it sometimes and be shrewd, be strategic, be wise with your finances. Now, just a couple things. Verse 12 is a verse about not wasting. We have all these extra, extra food, let's not waste it. Question, are you wasting anything financially? Now, you may not be able to figure that out very, very quickly, but you can go home and try and identify, am I wasting something somewhere? Look at your cable bill. Look at how many massages you get a month or golfs you go a month. Look at how many times you do your nails or uh, look at everything. Look at how many times you go to Starbucks. I love Starbucks. But if you have no financial margin, three bucks a day, just add it up. I'm not telling you what you're going to do or not going to do, but are you wasting anything anywhere? If you don't have margin, it's significant enough that instead of having 700 cable channels, maybe you can downsize to 400 and save 10, 20 bucks a month. Figure it out. Verse 12 is about not wasting. Verse 13 is about saving. Collect the leftovers, let's take it with us. Question, why didn't Jesus just snap his fingers later on that evening for dinner? Why did he take that with him? Because, can't you just hear Jesus? They're sitting around the campfire. It's dinner time. What are we going to eat? Well, go get the leftover barley loaves. We get some uh, salami lunch meat in the fridge. Go ahead and make yourself some sandwiches. He could have snapped his fingers again. But he gives us an example that even, even when it comes to food, it matters. Even when it comes to food. Is there any way you can be more shrewd with your finances? Is there any way you can make it stretch a little bit further? You may have to be creative, but try and figure it out. And this last question sounds like a financial question, but it really isn't. 
Here's the third question. Do you want more from Jesus or more of Jesus? I think it's very interesting how this whole story ends. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Jesus walks on water. Then the crowd is trying to find them, and here's what we find, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Here's what he's saying to him. You know, I get this impression that the only reason you come to me is because you want something from me. The only reason you come to me is because your stomachs are growling. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus says to us this morning, you know what? I don't mind meeting your needs. I I don't mind when you come to me with issues and problems and financial issues. That's fine. But I I want you to come to me for more than what I can give you. I want you to come to me just to be with me, to learn from me, to imitate me. You see, finances in the Bible is a whole lot more than about cash. I'll meet the needs of your stomach, but what I want to meet more than anything else is the needs of your heart. You know what's interesting about this whole story? Is they don't like it when he says that. Some of you here this morning haven't liked what Jesus has said. In verse 15, they want to make him king. In verse 41, they begin to grumble. In verse 66, it says, many left Jesus. It's going to be your call. I got one of those emails that got passed around and forwarded and forwarded and forwarded um, about our uh, U.S. Treasury and our mint and uh, what the United States government is planning to do with our, with our bills and with our currency and our coin. And uh, I, I checked it out, and apparently it, it's, apparently it's true. They are making some modifications to our bills, which they do every year. They try and make it less, you know, uh, able for people to, to you know, um, fake and such. But what they're doing is they're removing something from the coin and from the bills. They're removing the words, in God we trust. Eventually, within the next decade, it won't be on our currency. Now, honestly, I'm not one of those Christians that gets all politically bothered about that. Uh, we as a country haven't really believed that for a long time. But frankly, I'm, I'm not so concerned what our country believes about it. I'm concerned about what you believe about it. When it comes to your cash, do you trust God? And as someone who has tried it and sees the, see, found the benefits, I want to say it works. Trust him. Financial margin is something you need. And he can help you get there. But trust him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we um, want to admit that sometimes we are not the most contented people. While you have blessed us, we are constantly thinking about the next toy and the next thing we want to get instead of how you have blessed us. And we want to confess that as wrong and we want to acknowledge how much you have given us. Father, I pray that you would encourage every single one of us to apply what we've learned today. 
to, to, to pick up that calculator and to start to crunch the numbers and try and figure out where, where the money is going, to try and create margin in our lives so that not only we can obey you, not only so that we can eliminate stress, but when opportunities come up, we have some money to use and to play with. Father, I also especially want to pray for those that are among us that are, are struggling um, with this area of margin simply because they don't have a job. It's not really a spending issue for them. It's just, I want to work and I can't find something. Father, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would give them hope. I pray that they would persevere as they've continued to send out resumes and go on interviews but don't have anything yet. Father, give them a sense that, that it's going to work out. Father, for those of us that are around them, uh, use us to help them as best as we can. And uh, Father, we thank you for what you've taught us in this area today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.